Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Medicaid Leadership Exchange, our podcast series that explores priority topics with Medicaid leaders. My name is Hillary Kennedy. I'm Program Director for Medicaid Leadership here at the National Association of Medicaid Directors. We're excited to work on this podcast with the Center for Healthcare Strategies, and it's made possible by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and their support. As we continue to release new episodes of the podcast, we're going to feature conversations between Medicaid directors and sometimes members of their executive teams. We're looking forward to the upcoming discussions, which we're organizing as a mini series that looks at a variety of leadership dynamics at play as directors and their teams work to address equity, both within their agencies and for their members. I'd like to introduce again, the moderator for today's session, Gretchen Hammer. She works with NAMD and states to provide strategic support and was the Medicaid director in Colorado. She also served on the NAMD board of directors. So with that, I'll turn it over to Gretchen to say a few words and welcome today's conversation participants. Terrific, thank you, Hillary. Um, nice to be back on the podcast as always. I'm also joined by Mark Larson from the Center for Healthcare Strategies who will help us at the end of our conversation reflect on the wisdom that we've heard from our two special guests. Our two special guests today are Tracy Johnson, Medicaid Director in the state of Colorado and Caprice Knapp, the Medicaid Director in the state of North Dakota. And as everyone is aware, state Medicaid programs have had to navigate very difficult situations over the last year to 18 months. We've navigated the programs through the public health emergency, through the recession that occurred in many states and in many localities as, a relation, as in relation to the public health emergency, and also the recognition and understanding of the role that inequities in health have, have we've seen in the pandemic, as well as the larger conversation we're having as a nation around racial equity. So today we're going to focus on how um, our two guests have thought about and navigated their program as they've looked at finances, both things that they've had to potentially cut or right size during the program, but also, or during the recession, but also investments that they've made to ensure that their programs can continue to respond to the unique needs of some of the populations that they serve. So I'll start by first um, asking both Tracy and Caprice to maybe just share a little bit of a story about the approach that you all have had to take in each of your states over the last 18 months as you've looked at potentials for budget cuts and the need to make investments in your program and how you've approached that work or navigated that work. So Tracy, if I could start with you. Sure, um, I think there's a couple of levers we um, try to pull on, on the investment side. I do think there is this, um, you know, consensus that that the Medicaid program can be a tool for, for health equity, has been in fact historically, but there's sort of a broader understanding of that. And, and there's, um, perhaps more willingness to, to really explore how to use that tool. So um, we've, we've used that energy as momentum to make some investments in our data infrastructure so that um, we, can, we can do this work better. Um, you really do need um, more nuanced uh, demographic data to look at a variety of different health equities. There's the, the race, ethnic um, disparities uh, um, that you referenced, but there's all kinds of other things, you know, urban, rural, um, you know, disability status. And so really looking broadly at health equity requires good data. It also requires more clinical data. Um, there are certain kinds of phenomenon, like if you want to look at 
you know, preeclampsia in African-American women, you really need better data than we have uh, currently. And so the particular um, phenomenon that you might want to explore requires that, that better demographic data, but it also requires um, clinical data. So we wrote a budget request this year to um, really try to you know, as I said, improve our data infrastructure by getting electronic health record data that has both of those things. Um, the other tool we have is, you know, we work in partnership with the legislature and making sure, you know, they really understand our program and who it serves. And so there's sort of this educational piece in our, in our joint budget committee meeting this year, you know, both, you know, my remarks and the remarks of our um, executive director took some time to talk about health equity and, and some of the disparities we've seen, you know, recently, you know, with COVID, but also historically, you know, um, you know, our maternal uh, mortality data, for instance, for a long time has substantial um, racial and ethnic disparities. And so really just sort of calling attention. And then finally, um, you know, as you mentioned, when we're looking to uh, make cuts or right size the program, you know, trying to prioritize those um, approaches so that you know, um, cuts that actually impact our members is sort of at the very end of the list when you've exhausted all other options. And so where we really have dug in is what are those other options? Um, and so, um, you know, and, and that's sort of like a twofold strategy, you know, helping people understand, you know, who our population serves, why, how it's important that, you know, our program is maintained and strengthened. And then what are the alternatives um, to right-sizing the program that, you know, um, insulate our members as much as possible from the impacts of those um, reductions. Terrific. Thanks, Tracy. Caprice, how about you? Sure. Um, so very quickly, first, I just want to say thank you to NAMD and CHCS for inviting me to be a part of the podcast. And it's, it's so fantastic to do this with Tracy because, um, uh, part of my Medicaid journey was working at the Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing in Colorado. Um, so it's all full circle. Um, but I would say that for it was fortuitous that, that in the Medicaid program and part of our larger Department of Human Services, we were going through a strategic planning um, process uh, right before COVID hit. Um, and so even though, you know, COVID was, of course, you know, a lot of intensive time and effort put towards that, we were sort of able to continue that process. And so it was nice to have what we came out with at uh, DHS as our five strategies for our program. And we had those really set up nicely so that when we started to look at the budget for the upcoming legislative session, that was really our North Star, you know, keeping families together, um, shifting from institutions to the community, our clients. Um, operational efficiencies and redesign. So those types of, those five um, strategic priorities, we kept in mind in going through this process. Um, I'll talk a little bit, I'm sure more, if you have questions about specifically what we did in terms of, you know, right-sizing the program um, with the budget constraints that we had, but we also made investments. And one of the uh, large investments we made was around childcare. Um, as we experienced through COVID, I'm sure other states did, you know, how important childcare is, um, not only for women, but, you know, for families and making sure people can work and what do we do. Um, and so we made some investments there in childcare to make sure that we have a program for four-year-olds in the state of North Dakota. Um, and those early childhood investments, 
in, in our opinion, will lead right into what we're doing in Medicaid and the social services roles as well. Um, we also made some investments in um, substance use disorder. We have a, a unique program here in North Dakota, which um, fills a gap between Medicaid and commercial insurance. We try to do as much in Medicaid as we can to pay for SUD, um, but we do have a unique program that fills sort of that gap specifically um, uh, for clients that are um, coming out of prison and it, we try as hard as we can to get them on Medicaid, but if they cannot, you know, this is a, a gap filler. So we made some, some significant investments there. And for that, that's, that's really critical. You know, we've seen, um, SUD incidents and overdoses actually increase across the country um, during COVID and beyond. And so, you know, that's a concern that we have. Um, so we did make some significant investments and also looking at the right sizing. One of the pieces, and I'll just quickly say, because it ties in with equity is, um, we pushed for, as part of our policy agenda, and it was approved by our legislature as a value-based purchasing program um, in Medicaid. And, you know, lots of states are further down the road than we are in this. And in some ways that's great because now I can steal their ideas um, and not make some of the mistakes they have. Um, but of course, value-based purchasing is really the foundation of that is data, quality measures. And so like Tracy said, this was a great opportunity to invest in our capacity and ability to generate those measures. Um, and it was interesting. We actually, when we presented some of the data that we had, uh, the legislators um, asked the questions, how do you, you know, can you, can you all go ahead and divide this by subgroups for us, whether it's region or race? So they're already thinking of those things as well. And so I think it sets us up nicely um, to bring that forward and continue to advance that effort. That's terrific. I want to circle back on that concept of investment. You know, one of the challenges that all state budget processes have is that they're an annual budget cycle, right? And, and it can therefore be hard to both articulate, like if we invest now, you know, with your four-year-olds, for example, Caprice, that, you know, when those kids are third graders, they'll be better readers, they may have, you know, um, a better opportunity, they may be healthier, whatever it may be. So how, what was unique about this year or the way that you all were able to work with your budget folks as well as your legislative partners to really make the case for these investments? Did you find any areas of success of, you know, both a population health investment or infrastructure like you have both described? Well, I'll just give a couple of quick examples. And I have to say that, you know, COVID really um, you know, we knew childcare was an issue for a very long time. We knew early childhood and getting people in and screened and, and enrolled in, in Medicaid and, and Head Start and the value of those programs. You know, we've known that for quite some time, but really COVID just brought all that to the surface. And there was quite um, a push at the citizen level. You know, legislators were calling us because their constituents were calling them. Um, and and it, it just pushed that issue and brought it to light to where you know, using COVID dollars, we stood up almost an emergency program, right, to help out the facilities, um, the childcare facilities. But, you know, then there was a sustained interest in that. And so we were able to capitalize on the, that momentum and push forward. Um, again, also North Dakota, like I'm sure in other states, you know, we have workforce issues. And so you started to hear more conversations about if we're going to attract young families to come here, 
we have to have affordable childcare. It just is part of what we have to do. And so th those types of narratives and conversations really got momentum and really got legs. And I would say it's one of the most successful um, pieces we have coming out of session that we're very proud of. Um, I could give a couple of other examples, but I'll, I'll defer to Tracy. Yes, um, I think the, the ability to invest in infrastructure was something that um, came out of the, the COVID crisis. Um, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes, particularly in a difficult budget year, to make the case for infrastructure. I already talked about the data infrastructure. The other thing that really got a lot of attention was broadband. Um, you know, with kids doing school remotely, you know, particularly when providers were on reduced hours or completely closed and, and, and there was a quick switch over to telemedicine, suddenly, you know, Colorado's a very rural state, North Dakota's a very rural state, you know, the, the lack of broadband access, um, you know, I started to hear about, you know, broadband is an equity issue. And, um, and there were, um, there was a lot of interest in, in investing in that, but I feel like, you know, we've been talking about broadband for the last 10, if not 20 years, but this year there was actually movement. There was a lot more investment. And so I, I think the, the recognition that we do have to, whether it's a data, you know, investment, a broadband investment, even, you know, some of the, the, the payment issues, you know, the, the, we're, we're um, a partially fee-for-service state in Colorado. And, you know, when there are no visits happening, providers get thrown into crisis like immediately. And so the need to sort of invest in, you know, um, educating providers about alternative payment models, standing up those models faster than, you know, perhaps we had originally thought, um, there was just, a lot of rethinking things that the ideas have been around for a long time, but suddenly the, the impetus to implement them was dr dramatically accelerated. Great. And that sort of picks up on another theme that I think we've seen in these budget discussions, which is the budget is often a major policy driver. Right. Mm -hmm. We know that there's standalone legislation that either your the administration will run or, you know, an advocacy group or a legislator will run. But often it's it's through the budget process that you see a lot of policy being made. So as you all either reflect on your you know most recent legislative session or current legislative session or look forward, are there other areas where issues of health equity or issues of investing in the structures that can support health equity? have really just been moved through a budget process as opposed to standalone legislation. Are there any sort of tips that you could give to our listeners of, these are some places where the budget can actually be used um, to invest in equity or to address equity issues as well? I think the, the thing that I observed, Tracy again, um, is one of the really important things you can do through um, a budget process is present alternative item ideas for you know bringing your state budget in balance. Most of us have to budget or uh, balance our state budgets, and so um, what we've really leaned into in Colorado is is really trying to identify places where you know there there is um, an ability to make a cut, so that other things do not need to be cut, or you have money for investment, and so 
you know, we have, for example, for about five years running, done a, a thorough analysis of our fee-for-service rates, benchmarking them against Medicare um, or other appropriate benchmarks to really identify, you know, where could we, you know, right-size our provider rates in a way that's, you know, not going to impact um, the providers themselves even and, and our members. You know, we've done extensive analysis on hospital finances, particularly um, nonprofit hospital finances in, in Colorado and, and determined, you know, there, there's a little bit of cushion there. And so having the ability to identify, you know, where there is money that could be reallocated to your priorities, you know, helps you, you know, as Caprice was saying, you know, kind of have a North Star and then in some ways your budgets becomes, you know, a value statement. Um, you know, where are you putting your, your funding? And, um, and so that sort of shifting around and, and pushing against in some ways the moneyed interests um, is a tool for achieving the equity. Um, and in the absence of that, um, there is this um, tremendous push toward, you know, the more organized and powerful interests getting relatively more of the budget. And um, that often does not serve equity interests. Terrific. Caprice? Sure. Um, so I'll give an example of where I saw sort of the policy piece and the appropriations piece come together um, in a very nice way. But I will say, um, I also first just wanna give some appreciation to our legislature. We have a great appropriations committees, both in the House and the Senate. And some of the folks that have been, and they work very well with our policy committees as well. Um, and so, you know, we're a small state and everybody knows each other. And so it's great to see that collaborative relationship because let's be honest, I mean, Medicaid can be complicated. And so, you know, I have a hard time keeping things straight. And so, you know, the fact that, you know, we're all four corners trying to come in there and, and come to policy solutions with the help of our stakeholders, I think that's really important. Um, but the 1959 is one example where I can see where policy appropriations have come together. So um, we have, just been approved in January for a 1915I waiver. And what we're trying to do is focus on the social determinants of health and for folks in our state with the most severe mental and behavioral health issues, um, we are doing things like supportive housing, um, supportive employment, um, in-home support, et cetera. And so we were actually providing all of those services, but through nonprofits, through grants, through general fund dollars, um, and so the policy solution was the 1959 state plan amendment. Then that, then that sort of bleeds over into appropriations because now we can take those 100% general fund dollars that we are spending on those services and we can push those over to Medicaid and pull down the match. And so you saw this great synergy between both the policy um, committees in the legislature that you know the 1959, the idea resonated with them and this was something that was really critical. We've made a lot of behavioral health investments in the state of North Dakota. And so this just adds onto this longstanding agenda that they've had um, and very grateful for Pam Sagnus, who's our director of behavioral health. Um, but then also it helps out on the appropriations side who let's be honest, you know, they're trying to meet their obligations as well. And that's really difficult when we have the biggest budget in the state. So that was one example where you could see that it all came together 
Um, and again, the way in which our group collaborates with each other um, and helps to get to those solutions, I think, I think really just helped get to the, you know, the end, you know, the end on that one. And I think it, it turned out really well. That's terrific, Caprice. I, I too recall fondly being a part of those conversations and really being proud that democracy was working, right? The, the executive branch and the legislative branch, the policy and the appropriations was all coming together. And um, so I appreciate you sharing that story because it is a reminder that the, the structures of democracy are often very, very well, uh, working very well at the state level. I, we are coming to the end of our time. So I wanted to maybe give you each just a chance to, to look ahead a little. Um, you know, our approach to equity, as you said, um, Tracy, Medicaid has long been structured to be a, a, a program that is designed to support equitable access to services that can help people be healthy. And so as you all look ahead, you know, each of you have unique populations in your state and um, unique equity challenges that you're working through. But where do you see your, your work focusing on in the future? Maybe on things that were just funded by your legislature or, you know, Tracy, you mentioned those infrastructure investments, but as you look ahead, where do you see your equity focus um, moving forward? Um, Tracy, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and, and take this one first. Um, so this is Caprice. Um, so I'm excited about this going forward. And, and in, when I think of health equity, there's two things that really resonate. Um, we adamantly believe, and I'm sure other states do as well, that just because you live in a rural area, you still should have access to healthcare. You should have quality healthcare. Um, and, you know, and that's a choice that you make. And so we very much support rural healthcare in this state. Um, we have been working on, um, over the last year, we've been working with a, a rural health um, work group that's led by Senator Judy Lee in our state. And we've been very much focused on, you know, community paramedics. We're looking at, you know, what else can we look at with some of our critical access hospitals in terms of the configurations? How can we work together to do more home and community-based care? We're gonna be looking at um, community health workers in the future. We have a study that came through on our legislature. So that is really important to us. So when, when we talk about equity, that's, you know, to me, rural health really resonates. Um, also, um, you know, we have our tribes in, in, of Native Americans in, in uh, North Dakota. That's really important to us. Um, one of the things that resonates with me is that the Biden administration has put forth um, the um, extension of postpartum care from uh, the 60 days to 12 months. Um, I was able to have a conversation with our, with our legislature before they broke. That's not something that we... Um, debated and discussed while they were here because we got that indication about the dollars and the opportunity too late in the process. But that is something that I think is important to our Native American population. Um, that again, there's an opportunity there. There's some infrastructure we can build on. Um, and so going forward, when it comes to equity, those will be the, the two pieces that I'm specifically looking at, maternal and child health, specifically for our Native American population. And then rural health, you know, again, access, quality, um, and continuing to build on, um, you know, how can we collaborate and how can we be smart about the dollars that we use? So excited about that work and excited about our partners in that work. Terrific, thanks Caprice. Tracy? Uh, yes, thank you. Um, I think what we um, will see in Colorado is um, 
with those investments in the data infrastructure is an increased ability to stratify um, our various metrics according to race, ethnicity, region, um, disability status, and really identify where we have health equity gaps and um, create intentional programming to close gaps. Um, so I think that's gonna be a big part of even just this coming year we have as part of our strategic plan to, to do that kind of work. I think there um, are going to be an, a number of things that pass through the legislature this year that will allow us to have um, opportunities in very specific areas around that intentional programming, um, maternal and child health. There's likely to be some um, legislation coming through. I think um, legislation related to non-police response to behavioral crisis um, is another area. We had a um, behavioral health task force that made a number of recommendations that um, got funded and it's already signed into law. And so there'll be a tremendous amount of effort around um, behavioral health and, you know, combined with my earlier comments on looking at you know, where are our disparities in behavioral health. Um, I think there's just going to be tons of opportunity there. And then finally, I think working with our federal partners to really reflect on you know, just how important that enhanced federal financing was to keeping states whole throughout this um, public health crisis and, and looking for opportunities to um, maybe make that more permanent and more automatic. Um, is still something we wanna continue to voice with our federal partners as a priority because honestly for Medicaid to be healthy and function as a tool for health equity, we have to be financially viable as a program. And so um, I think that um, really sort of looking at that federal financing piece and, and, and using this um, particular moment as an opportunity to really um, communicate with our federal partners how important that is. Be important, and we have certainly voiced that in Colorado, and I know that NAMDA has done the, uh, the same as well. So, thank you. Terrific. Well, Mark, um, I'll turn it over to you to finish out our podcast and just offer your reflections on the work that that Tracy and Caprice have shared about as they've navigated these budget issues and issues related to equity. Gretchen, thank you, and Tracy and Caprice, thank you so much. You uh, you've given us a lot to chew on today, and Two things, two things stood out to me from your comments. Uh, you know, the first is, as we think about, Tracy, your comment really early on about Medicaid being a vehicle for advancing health equity, uh, the recognition that Medicaid isn't an island all to itself. Uh, in many parts of the conversation, you mentioned the important connection to uh, childcare, employment, uh, broadband, criminal justice systems, uh, and the important ability to think about Medicaid both as a partner in those conversations, uh, but also really an important driver at the same time. And uh, I think whenever we talk about health equity, it can feel big. And I think we can uh, start thinking about, okay, you know, how can we go off and chew on this and, and deal with it on our own uh, and forget to see ourselves in the, in the bigger context of things. So I appreciated your focus on that. And the second was I was just really appreciating uh, the important leadership challenge involved in moving this conversation forward. Uh, when I think about the, the, really the two things, the COVID-related health disparities, uh, both in terms of access and outcomes that we've talked about in the last year, but also the 
the important dynamics around the focus on racial justice in our country. Um, I know Medicaid leaders have, have really embraced and grappled with that. And I, I'm always struck in our conversations about the balancing act in that leadership challenge between the technical stuff. Uh, Caprice, you talked about Medicaid can be complicated and that's certainly, it's an understatement. Um, and Medicaid leaders always have to have that command for the technical piece. Uh, but you both highlighted in, in different ways today the importance of also not losing sight of the importance of the, um, the persistent clarity of focus and vision about where health equity fits into your work. And you both mentioned in different ways that there, there's longstanding efforts to think strategically and deliberately, but then there's also the taking advantage of emergent things that come up. I mean, uh, you know, some of them are big like a pandemic, other than others are not. Uh, but the importance of the leadership focus of being able to take advantage of uh, both of those opportunities to be able to uh, ultimately, you have both talked about heightening the focus on equity uh, to a new level. Uh, we've talked in other podcasts about how telemedicine has been shot forward more in the last year than uh, we ever imagined that it might be. And uh, I think the conversation today echoes some of that same thing that uh, with leadership focus, the opportunity to, to sort of shoot some of these conversations that we've always known about the importance of health equity and the opportunities to reduce disparities. But um, I'm reminded of how important it is for Medicaid leaders to, to take advantage of their opportunity to build their relationships around that clarity of focus. So, Super interesting conversation. Tracy, I'm really grateful for your comments. Thanks, Mark. Um, I appreciate those, that summary. It was really great. And um, you know, also just want to give a shout out to my team. I have the best Medicaid team around um, and so thankful for them. And, and I'll make sure that um, this is really critical and it's critical to pass through our entire team. You know, we are, you know, to make sure that this, you know, again, looking at our strategies and where we're going. So it's a nice summary and I appreciate that and, and really great to, again, to be on this with, with Tracy. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting us. And I, I have to disagree with Caprice only slightly that I in fact have the best team in Colorado. But anyway, um, really do appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you folks today. Great, and thanks everybody. This is Hillary. I I think, Caprice, that you will have 55 other state and territorial <laughs> Medicaid directors meeting you behind the schoolhouse to have that fight over who has the best team. But I just want to thank all of you for joining today. It was a fantastic conversation. I, as always, learned a lot and appreciated um, your nuanced insights into what it takes to lead a Medicaid program amidst all of that complexity. So Thank you all. And for those listening, be sure to keep an eye out for this episode and our next episodes, wherever you get your podcasts or they're available on the CHCS and NAMD websites. So thanks everybody and have a great day.